to the RPC Sermons Podcast. You can join us for virtual worship every Sunday at roswellpress.org. Thanks for listening. Amen. Well, I hope you're having a good weekend. It's a joy to be in worship with you this morning. We had a fantastic week at the church with Vacation Bible School. We packed out the church with kids and volunteers. And I had this funny moment where um, there was a leader who were telling this group of young boys to stop running in the church. And they were standing at the back of the sanctuary. And I was thinking, I was looking at it from their perspective, like, look how long this aisle is downhill and like how fast you can get running down it. And I was like asking these boys not to run down. It was like asking Jesus not to walk on water. I was just like, this looks so fun. And I want you to know we had such a great time. I want to thank all our, our drivers, our volunteers, our leaders, our teachers. And even if you weren't here this week, if you give of your tithes and offerings, your generosity makes it possible to keep the lights on, air conditioning, everything to happen here at RPC. And so I thank you so much. And this summer, uh, our children's and family ministry, as we do usually every year, they lay out kind of the sermon series that's going to be uh, for the summer so that both the kids and us older folks can uh, all be focused in on the same scripture passages as we journey through the summer. And um, <laughs> this past week, uh, I had lunch with a group of uh, this woman who I'd known for quite some time. And as we're leaving, she says, Jeff, look at all your gray hair. I thought that was really mean, but I want you to know people are there to keep me humble as, uh, and to just express God's love for us. Um, this is the summer of love. We're talking about God's love for us and how that inspires us to love others. And we're going to open up this sermon series by looking at one of my favorite psalms, Psalm 139. Probably my favorite psalm will always be Psalm 23, but Psalm 139 is a close second. So let us open our hearts and minds to listen and hear the word of the Lord. O oh Lord, you have searched me and known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O oh Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and before and lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in Sheol, you are there. If I take the wings of the morning and settle at the farthest limits of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me become night, even the darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day, for darkness is as light to you. For it was you who formed me in my inward parts. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works, that I know very well. 
My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me when none of them as yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. I try to count them. They are more than the sand. I come to the end. I am still with you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Gracious, loving God, we ask that you might be our teacher, that we might experience the God who's spoken about in this psalm, Lord, that we might know how fearfully and wonderfully we are made. Now may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing in your sight, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Who really knows you? And what does it mean to be known by someone? What does it mean to be truly known? I know a guy who moved here after graduating from Duke Divinity School. And I've gotten together with Ben a bunch of times. Gone out for coffee and for lunch. Drinks, just hanging out. We're even Facebook friends, okay? And Ben is a distinctive-looking guy. He's tall, Caucasian. He has long hair that he wears in a man bun. (laughs) Super skinny. He also has this kind of trendy, like scraggly, hipstery beard. And not long ago, I was having coffee at a coffee shop with a new member of our congregation who'd recently moved to the area. And we just had a great time talking, but eventually our conversation and our coffee came to an end. And I wanted this guy to to know, I know people. Now, if you don't know me very well, you will find that I am a classic name dropper. I love to drop names of who I know. If you give me 30 seconds, I'll take a minute. If you give me a minute, I'll take five, okay? And so we're walking out of this coffee shop, and I want this person to to realize that I know people. And just then, in the parking lot, I see a Caucasian guy who's tall and thin, long hair, and a man bun with a very cool beard. It's Ben. I see him and I say, Ben! Nothing. He must not have heard me. Hey, Ben! Still nothing. Finally, I say, hey, Ben, it's Jeff! He turns and looks at me, stares at me, and says, I'm not Ben. (laughs) I thought I knew Ben. Well, if he knew me, he definitely did not want to admit to knowing me. (laughs) We think we know people. But to be honest, do we really know people? We think we know them, then they surprise us. We discover that we didn't know them as well as we thought. We know people on the service surface. We know the person that they present to us. But then we learn that there's a mystery below the surface. We all have experiences, desires, emotions that we never share with anyone. We are mysteries to others, and often we are mysteries to ourselves. 
Plato has Socrates say, to know thyself is the beginning of wisdom. Know thyself. St. Augustine in his confession says, I have become a question mark to myself, and that is my infirmity. There are three questions that are fundamental to every human life. How can I know myself? How can I know others? And how can I know God? The psalmist, though, begins with a prior conviction that before we ever know ourselves, before we ever know others, and before we ever know God, God knows us. The psalmist begins, O Lord, you have searched me and known me. God knows me, God knows you better than you know yourself. Verse 2, you know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from far away. You search out my path and my lying down and are acquainted with all my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, O Lord, you know it completely. God, the psalmist says that God knows our thoughts, our actions, our future before we ever know it. How many of us know what tomorrow will bring? We may have a general, general idea, but we don't know for sure. Only God knows. And the psalmist takes very, a lot of comfort from knowing about God's tender, close proximity to us. That God knows you, God knows me better than we know ourselves. We think we know ourselves. Back when I was in third grade, there's a famous family story. You know when you, you're in third grade and they make you do assignments, and then you bring them home and your mom will put them on the refrigerator and kind of celebrate your accomplishments? Well, there was a third grade assignment, and the teacher asked us to write our full legal name on the assignment. Easy enough, right? So I bring it home to my mom. And she's about to put it on the refrigerator, and she says to me, Jeff, honey, do you know how to spell your name? And I was kind of an indignant third grader. Of course. She said, Jeff, your full name is spelled J-E-F-F-R-E-Y, not J-E-F-F-E-R-Y. I mean, I had almost an emotional breakdown. Are you kidding me? It's R-E, and like for years, I, I'll, I'll be writing it out, I'll be like, is it R-E-Y or is it E-R-Y? <laughs> I had to learn my name. I bet you had to learn your name from someone else. Someone had to give you a name, who you are. In the same way, we truly learn who we are from God. God gives us our identity. We are becoming ourselves, yes, but God is in the backdrop of our lives, forming and shaping us. See, most of us, we tend to have a habit of anthropomorphizing God. Anthropomorphize is just a fancy word that arrogant preachers use to describe when we, we make God a bigger version of ourselves. We think God is just a a, big, a bigger human being. 
But you have to remember that God stands outside of time. Human beings usually experience time in sequential events. There's a then, there's a now, and there's a to come. But God relates to all time simultaneously. God relates to time simultaneously. So God knows our lives before we ever know it, before we ever experience it. And so there's nothing that you're going to experience that escapes the grasp of God. And as I come to know God, it leads me to truly know myself. I really can't know myself apart from God. And this challenges kind of the American myth of the self-made man. In American culture, we tend to have this idea that we can become whoever we want to be, that we are created by ourselves, absent of tradition, other people, community, or even God. I could have picked out a lot of examples, but I chose one from Ralph Waldo Emerson's Self-Reliance, a famous essay. He writes, whoso would be a man must be a nonconformist. He who would rather, he who would gather immortal palms must not be hindered by the name of goodness, but it must explore it if it be goodness. Nothing is at last sacred but the integrity of your own mind. Absolve you to yourself, and you shall have the suffrage of the world. Emerson is saying we are self-made, we're independent individuals making ourselves as if we find ourselves by ourselves. But that's not what Scripture says. It says that we discover ourselves, who we really are, our true identity, by knowing God and by knowing other people. By knowing God and other people. That's why John Calvin in his magisterial institutes of the Christian religion begins it on the very first page by saying, true human wisdom consists of two parts, knowledge of God and knowledge of ourselves. To come to know God and to come to know ourselves are intertwined. It's how we find our identity. Knowing God and knowing other people is how we become who we are. I don't know if any of you have read the book or seen the movie Into the Wild by a young man named Chris McCandless. If you don't know how it ends, close your ears. Begins in 1990 when Chris graduated from Emory University. It's at his commencement ceremony. And what you find in the subsequent scenes of the movie and the book is Chris send, sets out on a cross-country experience, this cross-country journey to find himself. See, he, he wants to escape society. He would have agreed with John Paul Sartre who said, hell is other people. And he's trying to get away. He experiences this funny farmer played by Vince Vaughn. He meets an unhappily married couple who end up recovering, repairing their marriage. He meets an older man whose family has died who offers to adopt Chris into his family. But eventually Chris makes it to the Alaskan wilderness. He makes his house in an abandoned bus. And eventually he eats some plants that are poisonous, and he dies. It's a really sad story. But maybe the saddest part of the story is the last words that are written in his journal. 
He writes this, happiness must be shared. Happiness must be shared. To run away from people, to run away from God, will not lead you to flourishing, to happiness, to the happier, blessed life. Chris tries to escape people and discover himself. But what he discovers is that you only discover yourself in relationship with other people. Realizing who we are in the light of God causes us to re-understand who we are in our very identities. And that re-understanding frees us up to see the world in a whole new way. G.K. Chesterton lived at the end of the 19th and early 20th centuries. He was famous for many books, but probably my favorite book of his is called Orthodoxy. In it, he's arguing for the rationality or the reasonableness of the Christian faith. He's really funny, sardonic writer, and he has a chapter called The Maniac. <laughs> and in it, he discusses how he thinks modern society has made us all maniacs, that we're all crazy. And he talks about the benefit of seeing ourselves in the light of God. And he says, when you do this, you no longer are the center of your own universe. He said, when you see yourself living in the light of God, it opens your life and your eyes up to the world. When we trust that we are fearfully and wonderfully made, we see that other people are also fearfully and wonderfully made. And we get curious about them. We get curious about the world. We discover a whole new world, a whole new way of life. He writes this, how much larger your life would be if yourself could become smaller in it. If you could really look at other men and women with common curiosity and pleasure, if you could see them walking as they are in their sunny selfishness and their virile indifference, you would begin to be interested in them because they are not interested in you. <laughs> you would break out of this tiny and tawdry theater in which your own little plot is always played, and you would find yourself under a freer sky in a street full of splendid strangers. The man can write. But that's if we see who we are in the light of God and the psalmist tells us how beautiful and mysterious we are in order to help open us up to the world. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, he writes. It is so high that I cannot attain it. Where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? This is good news because of who God is, who God has created us to be. That God loves us no matter what. That you are fearfully and wonderfully made no matter the regrets about your past, the guilt from previous mistakes, the despair from unfulfilled dreams. Some of us wonder if we are truly loved and the psalmist insists, don't worry, God created you, God loves you, God cares for you deeply even before you ever existed my frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes beheld my unformed substance. In your book were written all the days that were formed for me when none of them as yet existed. How weighty to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. 
I try to count them. They are more than the sand. I come to the end. I am still with you. No matter how far you run, no matter what you think about yourself, no matter how unlovely you might feel, you are beautifully and wonderfully made. God has created you. and God has blessed you and loved you. If you trust in the God who loves you like the psalmist says, then you are set free to love others. I don't know if you know, but this past week, Harry Styles' record hit number one on the pop charts. Before Harry was ever a solo artist, he was in a boy band named One Direction. Over 10 years ago, One Direction came out with their first song. It was a hit single, number one, across the world. The song's title is, What Makes You Beautiful? And the chorus goes like this. It's just two lines. You don't know you're beautiful. That's what makes you beautiful. (laughs) The song actually came under a lot of criticism. Because it basically said women should have low self-esteem and that's what makes them beautiful. But then Stephen Colbert came along and had an even deeper assessment of the song. He said this, the lyrics are incredibly complex. You see, the boys are singing, you don't know you're beautiful, that's what makes you beautiful. But they've just told the girl she's beautiful. So since she now knows it, she's no longer beautiful. But she's listening to the song too. So she knows she's not beautiful. Therefore, following the syllogism of the song, she's instantly beautiful again. And for me, I wonder, why did this song resonate with people across the world? Because I believe we all have a desire for someone to think we're beautiful, for someone to think we're wonderful. And because I have that desire, I turn to this psalm and I hear that I am beautifully and wonderfully made and that you are beautifully and wonderfully made. And no matter if you feel it, God knows you. God has created you. God has declared you are beautifully and wonderfully made. You are wonderful. Let's pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that we are beautifully and wonderfully made, irrespective whether we feel it or know it. But I pray that that truth might sink into our hearts, that we might be able to accept your love for us, and that might set us free to love others. We thank you for this wonderful psalm, Psalm 139. In your name we pray. Amen. been listening to the RPC Sermons Podcast. Please let us know you're here by visiting roswellpress.org and signing our digital friendship register. May the grace and love of God be with you today and throughout the rest of your week. Thanks for listening.